I think you develop people by letting go and letting them see what they can do. They're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And if they don't make mistakes, they're not doing anything probably. So, you know, let them go. Let them see what happens. And uh, and I really think that's a big part of our success because they all, you know, we don't really consider ourselves a company. We consider ourselves a family. Welcome to Appalachian Startup, stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. In today's episode, you will hear the story of Greg Darby. After getting an accounting degree from WVU, he landed a job at a growing business called Little General Stores. They had eight locations when he arrived, and after purchasing the company with a partner, Little General Stores has grown to over 100 locations across Appalachia. Be profitable, grow, and survive has been the main goals for LG Stores since it began, and has it ever. They now compete with national brands for consumers, and their corporate office still resides in Beckley, West Virginia. If you ask Greg Darby about changing that, he will tell you, quote, we have no reason to leave. I've been here for 38 years, so uh, I started, uh, I came from here from WVU, got a degree in accounting, started as Comptroller, we had eight stores, and we built it from there, and in 1999... My partner, Corey Beasley, and I bought Little General from the, the third owner. So we're the third owners. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, back then, take me back to the beginning of, of where you guys started. What shape was Little General in when you guys officially took over? Well, we had 38 stores um, when we took over. I mean, it was in pretty good shape because we were both running a company at the time for the owners. They were kind of absentee owners. So we were running a company. So it, we knew everything about it. We'd built it. We'd done everything was there, really. Um, we had just do it, done it as employees rather than owners. Right. Coming out of high school and get ready to go into WVU, what kind of goals did you have starting out? Did you know kind of a direction of where to go or? No, I really didn't. Uh, I just went to school, and uh, I mean, I had—I was the first one in our family that went, so I wasn't—I didn't even know what I was going to do when I went. But uh, a friend of a family said I should be an accountant, and I didn't even really know what an accountant was. So I did, and and it's been very beneficial. So I became an accountant, and uh, um, that's how I got my first job with Little General uh, as their comptroller uh, back in 1980. Um, so who did own it before you guys? Uh, the original owner was Harry Gilbert, and uh, they, he's been deceased for a while. And then Robert Workman, we bought the company from Robert Workman. Mm-hmm. Did you have a 10-year a plan or a 20-year plan? Like, what was the ultimate goal for this? Did you guys know you wanted to have over 100 stores, or, or what was we, the original We never process? had an objective to have a certain number of stores. We just wanted them all to be profitable. And, you know, we had a vision that we wanted to grow and keep growing the business. And that's when we really got heavily into the restaurants and we were franchisees for Arby's, Burger King, Subway, Dunkin' Donuts, Taco Bell, 
Godfather's Pizza. So we felt the only way for us to really grow our business and be competitive with our competitors and be able to beat them was to put the restaurants in there. And that's another reason for people to come on our property, and it's been very beneficial. And most of our competitors that didn't do that are not the big guys. You know, they didn't survive. They've sold out or just didn't make it. Uh, but, um, you know, we're comp- started competing by, against Kroger's and Walmart's, and all that was totally new to us. I mean, I remember we bought the company when it was in New Orleans for a convention, and uh, Kroger's opened the first thing and, you know, first store, and, boy, it changed, the whole world changed. So uh, we had to change where we were headed. And, you know, we've, we've grown a lot through acquisitions of smaller chains. Uh, we've grown a lot through – just building new stuff, and uh, uh, we we are not afraid of growth, and we like growth, and we think if you're going to be in business, you got to grow it. Right. So you know, early on, you you guys just uh, didn't shy away from taking on those national competitors. You knew that you had to do that in order to succeed. Well, we knew we had to either do that and, you know, beef ourselves up and survive it or get out of the business. I mean, that was our only choices. I mean, we couldn't stay the way we were in an old, you know, run-down convenience store. And uh, we had to come out with new and modern and and compete with them. And and it's worked very well for us. Perfect. So how do you establish those vendor relationships? Are you just, you know, is there a phone number you call or, you know, is there – is there relationships that you established over time and you knew who owned these organizations or how does that work? Uh, you just have to track them down and find them out, you know, and of course now you can do it all on the internet. But uh, back then it was making phone calls, going to Atlanta, going to Miami, going to wherever, visiting them and setting it up and becoming franchisees. And we had to become a franchisee, which is not an easy task. I mean, uh, uh, all these guys have a lot of challenges to become a uh, franchisee, and, and it's it's very difficult. And it's financial, it's ability to run it, it's ability to grow it. Uh, a lot of different things are involved. So, are the requirements pretty strict? <clears throat> very strict, yeah, very strict. Which I like because it makes us do it right. You know, I like the fact that they're strict, and most of my people working for me don't because <laughs> it causes them headaches. But I like it because it makes our people do it right. Perfect. So, you know, when it comes time, like, okay, it's time we need to add another store. Is there a process to that? Or, you know, is there a certain revenue point you want to hit before you add stores or a market study? How does that work? Well, we try to grow in circles, uh, in big circles, you know, within our region. And uh, we keep stretching out. I mean, we used to be at Flatwoods. Now we're in Morgantown. So, you know, we've grown north. We feel that growing north is the right thing to do today because that's where most of the growth in the state is. The growth is not in the south as much as it was. Plus, we're pretty saturated down here. We, we look to grow one or two stores a year, and we look to, to remodel or demolish and rebuild some of the older stores one or two a year uh just where we go is where we find property really and you know where areas are developing a new interstate exit uh piece of property just all of a sudden opens up uh you know i have brokers on the street looking for that stuff for us and of course we are out there looking for it too so mm-hmm. so there, is there like a set of guidelines like there has to be this much population you know this kind of uh, road access, different. Yeah, things. I mean, we need you know the important traffic counts. Uh, house top rooftops is very important. Uh, you know, you can't just live on the interstate because it's good in the summer and bad in the winter. 
Uh, we want to have interstate. I mean, the ultimate would be interstate with a bunch of rooftops and uh, very high traffic counts. So, you know, those places everybody else wants too, so they're a lot more expensive. But that's really what we look for. I mean, and the rural areas, you know, we know the rural areas of West Virginia have been really good for us. Sometimes we're in there. We're like the only guy in town. And uh, we're taking a service to these people. I mean, I've, I've opened up stores in these small towns, and people came in and thanked me because we brought them something, you know, like a restaurant and, uh, and gasoline in a store. They didn't have anything. All the old-timey stations had done went out of business, and uh, so they were happy to see us come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we live in Pineville, and that's kind of what we had when you guys first came there. It right. was It was really exciting. Uh Got into Arby's, and that was a big deal for me because <laughs> I'm a big roast beef fan. All right. So, yeah, it seems like everywhere I go, I see a little general store. So you started out more towards the southern part of the state, or was there always, you know, sporadic locations? No, I mean, we started – I mean, we're headquartered in – they've been headquartered in Beckley since I came to work here. So we've always been more southern-oriented. I mean, Greenbar County, Raleigh County, Fett County, Mercer County, Wyoming County. And then now we started moving north uh, because, you know, there's, this market was saturated, we felt. And, you know, with the mining industry down, which it's up some now, but how long will it last? Uh, there was more growth up north with, you know, all, all the stuff that's going on up there, just different type of growth. The oil and gas industry has been really good over in the western part of the state and northwestern part, and we've tried to move into some of that area. So we look at where it's, where it's happening, where it's going, and, I mean, you don't want to be building something in a dying breed. I mean, uh, I don't know that we'd want to ever build anything in McDowell County, but we did. We built one in Bradshaw. And uh, oh, yeah, there's a subway down there too. Yeah, a subway and a pizza, Godfather's. And it's done okay. I mean, it's not been great, but it's done well. I mean, and again, we've helped that community, I'm sure, a lot. And Definitely. Yeah. And that's, you know, there is a lot of, of appreciation down there because in Bradshaw, it is, a, you know, a rural area and, and there's not a lot around. So that is well, a really what really made us think of that location when they built that brand new high school. We're right about a mile away from it. They can mer- uh, merged Jaeger and Big Creek, and we felt like there was an opportunity there now because of the, you know, that new development of the school. So that's what drove us there, actually. Definitely. It makes total sense. So um, the hiring process, I'm sure, is pretty much automated now, like with your managers and your employees and stuff. But how did you establish – a foundation to like train someone to take those processes over. Are there processes that you had a hand in creating yourself or did you just hire smart people? You know, basically how does that work? Well, and then, you know, in the older days we had, it was pretty simple process because you just put a sign on the door and people walked in and it was looking for work. Now it's all automated. We have a company that does some stuff for us. We do some, we have our own website. Uh, still a lot of the employees are, family, friends, or they know somebody or it's looking for a job, an employee to know somebody. Um, we have a lot of training for our managers. Actually, they're going on right now. Uh, we do in-house and we have el- external people. And we have a training program that we've purchased and, and it's on the computer-based where every employee sits down for, for 40 hours and goes through some kind of training program. Um, you know, the whole process of what you do when you come to work from – filling out your applications to the whole whatever the process may be, depending on where they work. Now, in the restaurants, they have their own concepts, too, of training because that's required from Burger King or whoever we're we're dealing with at the time. Right. 
Is there a certain quality that you look for, you know, personally with your regional managers or, you know, uh, some of your PR guys? Like, uh, what do you look for personally in an employee that you want to portray Little General? Well, you know, you would hope they'd be clean, neat, friendly, uh, you know, offering great service. I mean, that's what you really want. Uh, probably as much as anything, you want them to show up. Uh, that's that's a big problem. And you'd be amazed how many people that start to work for us, we never even get them on the payroll and they've already gone. Or they go out on break and never come back. You know, that's that happens a lot. So, uh, I mean, we, 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 we pride ourselves on running clean locations and, and pride ourselves on giving great service. So you can't do that if you have dirty people and and not un, and unfriendly people working for you. So I think the friendliness is the main thing. What would you say is your well? First off, how many employees do you have? Like, um, I think you know it changes regularly, but I'd say close to sixteen hundred. Wow. So how's the turnover rate? Is it? It's high. Is it high? It's very high on cashier level. Um, not so high on store managers or, or above. Uh, the store managers are pretty; they're they're pretty stable, um, but below that position, it's pretty high turnover. Right. In the food service, we got a lot of kids, you know, so they don't they're going to school and everything else. Sure. So when you started the food uh, section, did you instantly see a lot more? Uh, requirements, you know, when that case, was there a lot more processes you had to go through to get certified and different things when you started selling food out of these places or? Oh, much more. Yeah. They, uh, they required a lot more stuff and actually made us do a better job on the retail side because we wanted to improve our image. We didn't want to sit over here looking on the retail side, looking all drabby and be beautiful over on the left side. So I remember one day I was taking a guy from Arby's trying to get at a territory and he said, you know, your people on the retail side need to have better uniform. They don't look too good. And so he noticed that, and he's a customer. And probably I hadn't noticed it, and we made a change and improved that from that point forward. But, you know, we, we try to make the retail the same as the food. What has been some of your biggest struggles over the years that you've had to overcome? I mean, of course, you know, people, I mean, employees and, and customers, I mean, their people are the biggest problem without a doubt. I think in any business you work in, uh, they also have been positives with the people too. So it's not all been negative by no means. Um, the economy, uh, the economy's up and down and when it's bad, it's bad. And, uh, and, and I would say the agencies and governments, uh, you know, that they make it difficult to work sometimes. Uh, sometimes you feel like they're not on your side and you're spinning your wheels and, uh, and, you know, they just keep taking more and more and you just, you know, they don't give anymore. So uh, those are probably the three biggest things. So, you know, we can write this now, like explain to people how gas price works <laughs> so so they can know that you guys don't necessarily control the price, that there's a whole tax involved. And and me too, I don't really know. How does that yeah. work? Well, the way gasoline works is that we go to the terminal, like say, let's just use Exxon for example. We would pull into the Exxon terminal, we would put product in a truck. Uh, we use a common carrier to haul it and uh, haul it back to our store and put it in the tanks in the ground. Well, whatever the price is that day is called a rack price. So we have no control over that. And that's controlled by Exxon or BP or any of our suppliers. 
So you take that amount, that rack price, plus taxes, which in West Virginia, federal and state taxes are about 55 cents a gallon. So you add the 55 cents, and freight for us runs about um, six cents a gallon. So that's what we pay the trucking company to haul it to our stores from the terminals. We're very limited on terminals in West Virginia. We've got one in Charleston. We have one in Kentucky. We have one in Roanoke. Well, there's several in Roanoke. And then we also pull a little bit out of Marietta, Ohio, and some out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So we're pulling from those points. We have a lot high freight rate because of the rural area, and there's no terminals in West Virginia really other than Charleston, and that's the river terminal. So you add all those components together, and then you got a credit card charge. You know, our credit card charge for all of our thing is about, I don't remember, about six or seven cents. It's about 12 cents a gallon just for your freight and your credit card charges on top of for, on top of your rack price and your and your uh, taxes. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. There's so much that goes into it. So yeah, what would you say is your best quality as an entrepreneur? You know, what do you think you're good at? I think I'm good at uh, motivating people and handling people. I think I'm good at uh, negotiating deals. I think I'm good at uh, uh, looking and finding the right deals and and uh, making sure that it happens. I, I mean, I've built a great staff of people here uh, that work for me. I have 10 people out of the 1,600 report to me, and they're basically responsible for the whole operation. So they each have some separate category of the operation that they're responsible for. And they really make it happen. And uh, from them down all the way down, it makes it happen. But, you know, building the team, I think, is probably what I'm the best at. So you're not a micromanager? Nope. Don't micromanage. I uh, let them do their thing. We uh, set objectives. I let them set their own objectives. I either like them or don't like them. We discuss them. We make them changes, and they know where they need to be, and they go after it. And I stand back and watch and monitor it, and, you know, they'll get involved day-to-day, not necessarily day-to-day. I get involved when need be or when I see something not working or or when they need me to get involved. But otherwise, I let them do their own job. It's a lot easier that way, right? Well, it's the way it should be. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, which, you know, we just haven't, we just have three employees, but I'm finding, you know, that's my biggest struggle is letting go of responsibility. But it's also very freeing once you can see that someone can perform and you can let them go and do their thing, then you don't have to be involved in it. Yeah. I think early on, we all have a problem with letting loose. You know, we want to do it, but I, I think you develop people by letting go and letting them see what they can do. They're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And if they don't make mistakes, they're not doing anything, probably. So, you know, let them go. Let them see what happens. And and I really think that's a big part of our success because they all, you know, we don't really consider ourselves a company. We consider ourselves a family. We call it the LG family. So, you know, we we stand up and sing country roads together and with Coach Huggins and a bunch of other people and in our golf tournaments and, you know, everybody, even the vendors, I consider them part of the family because we're all, I mean, without them, we can't do anything. Without us, they don't sell anything. So I don't consider us a company, really. I consider us a family. Is most of your staff from West Virginia or... Uh, yeah, I think every one of them are. Most of them are local people. Uh, you know, I've got people that's worked for me as much as 38 years. I mean, it's been in that 10 people that I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, every one of them is from, from West Virginia. That's awesome. So is it important to you to stay in Beckley? Like, is 
the corporate office going to be here until yeah i mean i don't see no reason to move it with with transportation and you know you can get around pretty easy now the interstate systems and we can fly if we need to or whatever uh, i don't see any advantage for us to move to charleston or anywhere else so you know we've developed this office five years ago and and uh it's worked out really well for us so i don't see any reason for us to move Perfect. So, um, you know, as far as um, extending out to other states, are there plans to do that or are you not really worried about that? I mean, I, I would if there was something available, uh, but we don't have an objective that says, yes, we want to be in six states or five states or any kind of states. Um, we just grow where we feel that there's opportunity. Now, we're not going to go to North Carolina build a store. You know, we need to buy, if we went to North Carolina, we need to have 10 stores. So I could put a supervisor, an area manager down there and be over that. But if that opportunity came about, we wouldn't have a problem with that. Sure. But I need, I can't just go down there and put one. So. Sure. What's your biggest competition in, in Appalachia, would you say? Uh, you know, our competition is is three things, really. It's, uh, it's the grocery stores. It's the... Uh, of course, the restaurants, that's four things, I guess. So the grocery stores, the other restaurants, we've got uh, convenience store chains. I mean, like the Sheets has moved in here, and you got GoMart, and that's about all that's left, really. Um, and then we have uh, the, the dollar stores have really became, you know, Dollar General, Family Dollar, building there where you look, and they've taken some business away from us in certain categories that were higher gross profit items. Uh, groceries, cleaning supplies, whatever it may be. Uh, we didn't sell a lot of that, but we sold some of it, and uh, they've taken quite a bit of that business away from us. Now that you bring that up, what is your biggest seller in the stores? Do you have like an item that? Well, our number one seller dollar-wise is cigarettes. It's um, about probably 35% of the sales just because it's such a high-dollar item. Um that's our number one uh, seller. Then beverage and, you know, beer and all those categories kind of break down. Food service is up in, that, up in there, too. Um, of course, gasoline is our number one seller, but, you know, not profit item, but it's because it's such a high-dollar thing when you're selling a lot of gallons of it. We sell about 90 million, hundred million, about 100 million gallons in our company. So, you know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of gallons. Definitely. Uh, speaking of profit, like how many years did it take when you first took over to be profitable? Was it pretty much instant or? Yeah, we were profitable from the start. I mean, not every month we're not profitable. We're still not profitable every month. There's good months and bad months. But, uh, you know, we get February when you get a bunch of snow and cold weather, it's tough to be profitable. But, um, yeah, we were profitable pretty much because we took over the company that was already up and running. So, you know, we were able to be profitable from the start. Full steam ahead. Cool. So what advice would you give to somebody, you know, that's struggling to get their idea out there as an entrepreneur? Like what what's something that would, you know, be a blanket statement for all entrepreneurs that would help them, you know, succeed or to get started? Uh, well, I think the best thing they got to do is or the biggest thing they got to do is decide what they want to do and really know what they're talking about when they try to present it to somebody. You know, know your business. A lot of people come in here to see me with ideas that they don't really even know what the idea is. You know what I mean? They they got an idea, but they don't know what the idea is. Uh, they want me to figure out the idea for them. I mean, if you're not going to sell it to somebody, if you don't have an idea, I mean, you got to go sell it to lenders. You got to go sell it to 
to investors, you got to go sell it to whatever. You better have an idea and you better know what you're doing. And you got to have some results. You know, you got to have a, a nice business plan and some results. And, you know, we, we always forward thinking five, 10 years, where are we going to be? What are we going to do? We know that some of the stores we have now in five or 10 years probably won't be open anymore. They're getting outdated and old and the markets went away. Like, you know, some counties is just dried up. So you better you need to have a plan forward thinking, not just a short term, but a long term. Perfect. It's good you bring that up because a lot of people go by the fake it till you make it philosophy. But you know, I'm I'm catching from you that you're a, a really honest person and and believe in you know if you don't know how to do something, tell someone you don't know how to do it. So yeah. is that important to you? Yeah. Don't fake it. I mean, faking it to me is. You're not going to get far. People are going to figure that out pretty soon. Um, I used when we used to be in the wholesale business, and and uh, we sold to stations and to coal mines and all that. We sold that company now, but I used to tell them, "Hey, here's what it is." And you know, I, I want to sleep at night and I want to be right, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Other people are going to tell you this and tell you that, and will it really be? And lots of times, you know, they chose the other person because they gave them a better story. I gave them an honest story. They gave them a better story, and uh, in about six months, they were calling me wanting to sell me to buy their store because it didn't work out like that. I told them it wouldn't. But, um, you know, they said, well, you don't want it because you don't want competition. I said, no, I'm just trying to help you do the, make the right decision. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, you know, some people, a lot of those people that got people involved that shouldn't have got them involved, they're not here either. So sure. I guess it all comes around. But uh I never did that and don't ever want to do that. Sure. So what do you look for, you know, someone in here that you don't know that has an idea that they say is going to change your business? Uh, what do you look for in that meeting, basically, other than them knowing their product, obviously? I mean, you you look at the product and there's usually they got a history with it if they're coming in here. I mean, uh, it's not something they've just come up with off the cuff. I mean... You know, you got to look at how do we get it? Where how do we di- where's the distribution coming from? You know, for 109 stores, we have to have a way to get it to them. We don't run around here and deliver products to our own stores. We have companies that do that. So, they have to come in with a whole business plan like I said, uh, you know, here's my product, here's what it'll make you. Uh, here's, I think the volume it'll do, uh, and here's how I'm going to get it to your stores. So, that's all important to us cuz if you can't get it to us, it's not any good. And if you can't produce it fast enough, and, you know, so not many of the one-hit wonders work, okay? They just don't seem to work, but some of them will, I'm sure. Do you ever just take time to reflect on, you know, where LG has, you know, where you are now, like what since where it began? Oh, I'm sure I have as I'm driving around, flying around, or whatever I'm doing. You know, I, I can remember the good old days, I guess you'd say, uh, when we started – 38 years ago, uh, June of 1980 is when I started here. Um, you know, we were busy as ever we thought, and we were, and we grew it a lot. And then uh, then it's really been busy for the last probably 15 years with growth and opportunities. And so, yeah, I mean, I think about it and how, you know, where we're from. And I go, I pull up on a lot. And, you know, now we've got a 6,000 square foot store, 7,000 square foot store with a restaurant on it. Used to, I pull up on a lot. We had a 1,200 square foot store and two pumps. And uh, now we got six, eight pumps. You know, it's a whole different business. It's totally different. So 
If you didn't change, you wouldn't be here. I mean, that's basically what I'm saying. You have to change, and you have to change in any business. I mean, you know, look, Sears filed bankruptcy today. So, obviously, they didn't change enough to to survive. So, uh, you have to change in any business. As far as changing with the brand, you know, where – I mean, did you guys change logos all the time? Has it has it been the same logo ever since you started, or did it evolve? You know, what was the brand? You mean the little general logo? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the little general logo. When I came here, it was uh, it was a Confederate general. Okay, it was a uh, I don't know if it was Confederate Union. I think it was gray. I don't know why, because we were northern. But anyway, it was uh, just that's that was our logo. And I don't know, maybe 25 years ago, 20 years ago, we said we need to become more modern, and that's when we changed our logo to what it is now. And the tagline, did you come up with that then? Yeah. Well, later, I think I think that came up later. Um, we came up with that later on. Who did the jingle? Um, you know, uh, Jay Questenberry with WCR helped me with some people. He brought the people. I don't remember exactly who did it, but he brought the people in for me to figure it out. Now, was that a process or did you just, was it the first one and you were like, yep, sounds good? No, they brought a lot. I mean, they brought a lot of different things and, you know, different guys. The guy sitting here and strummed him on a guitar. And uh, we had a group of people to listen and, you know, they just kept bringing more and more until we finally realized what we wanted. Very cool. So, like, as far as the structure of the new stores, they're just beautiful stores. Like, how much of a hand in that did you have? Like, did you find an architect or did you find someone to design these? Or how does that work? They're pretty much our own design. Um, we have a company we use that draws them out on, you know, draws out a set of plans. But, you know, in West Virginia, because you either have to cut a, cut a mountain down or fill a hole, you know, you're very limited usually what you can use property-wise. So we had uh, we can't have them all look alike because we don't have the same size properties every place. So we just kind of customize the store to the to the property. The restaurants help us lay that part out. You know, the, the exterior image, the all the interior layout, they do all that. Uh, the C store part we do ourselves. We just know that hey, we're going to build a six thousand square foot building. We give you twenty five hundred square feet. You figure out what you want it to look like, and they do that for us. And then we figure out what we want the C store to look like. Right, which I assume each brand has zoning requirements. You know of what their store has to look like. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So you guys just try to you know reflect that and make right. it all consistent. And it's changing. I mean, you know, we just remodeled seven Burger Kings to the newest image, so their images are changing. I mean. Taco Bells, we've remodeled. Dunkin' Donuts is already. We're building the. We we've built three Dunkin' Donuts in the last two years. We're building the newest one in Huntington, right across from the dormitories there at Marshall, and it's the already changed completely from any image we have. It's called the Next Generation, and so it's going to be the newest, greatest, bestest. But it's kind of like a kind of like a computer. Uh, time you buy it, it's going out of date. You know, they're already, I'm sure, working on new image. And uh, we've re-imaged, like I said, a bunch of Arby's and Taco Bells and Burger Kings. And they make you do that each time you re-up your agreement. And, we've, of course, we do that with Little General, too. I mean, Exxon BP has somewhat regulations just in signage and canopies and pumps. They don't really get involved in the building. We do whatever we want to do in the building. Right. So from breaking ground to it's finished, you know, how long does it take to build like a 5,000, 6,000 square foot store? 
Um, you know, it depends on the amount of excavation we have to do. We have to build walls or not build walls. You know, if, if we don't have to build a lot of walls, we don't have to do a lot of excavation, probably 120 days um, to maybe 150 days. Uh, but I, I would say most of our projects we finish in six months. You know, that's even a bigger project when we have to build the walls and we have to cut a mountain down or fill a hole in or whatever it may be. Right. So do you average like a new acquisition yearly or is there like an average number or is it just like when an opportunity arises, you know, you look at it and decide? Well, I think I said earlier, we try to build two new stores a year and we try to maybe do a demolish and rebuild on an old store, either tear it completely down and start over. Lots of times we get more property when we're doing that so we can put a restaurant in where we had a smaller site. Or we just remodel a site, you know, just re-image it or whatever. So we try to do two or three or four projects a year. We have in-house people. Uh, I have two construction guys that work for me full-time. That That's what they do for me. I mean, they're on site. We use all subs uh, to do the work. Uh, all West Virginia subs. I mean, 99% of them, if we can get them. Uh, to do all of our work, and uh, you can; those guys have all been pretty busy for us for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal, you know. I, I think a lot of people would appreciate the fact that you guys try to go local as much as possible. Yeah, we we hardly ever don't go local. I mean, we're building that Dunkin' Donut. I was down meeting a guy the other day, he was doing the excavation work, and he's from right outside. He's eight miles from there, so you know, rather than dragging a guy from Beckley down there, we just use that guy down there. So. Most of the people that work for us, I mean, they've been involved, I mean, from the plumber to electricians to the bricklayers to the blocklayers to the whatever, to the water roofers. I mean, I see all the invoices, and we've got the same roof guy working all over the state for us. And they get up north, we get somebody different. But, um, you know, these guys have, we've given these guys a lot of, lot of work over the years. And I think they appreciate that. And I think, you know, I'm sure they do great work anyways, but I think that they'll put that much more into it if it's something that's, you know, building their community. Yeah. We've weeded out the bad ones. (laughs) (laughs) We've weeded out the bad ones over time. Right. And uh, speak on the coal, you mentioned the coal industry earlier. How much does that affect? Is there a trend that you guys see when when layoffs happen and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we see, uh, I mean, you know, in Boone County, we had stores up there where nobody was at, really. No people live there hardly. And you take 2,000 miners a day. Not only You're not only taking the miner out of the equation, you're taking – also, the guy driving the truck delivering fuel, guy delivering parts, guy delivering explosives, guy bringing tires, whatever they may be. They're all our customers because they're stopping getting, you know, sandwiches, getting tobacco, soft drinks, whatever they're getting. So, you know, you don't just lose the coal miner itself. You lose all those other related business. Uh, so that, that really uh, affects us in those small towns, uh, very much so. I would imagine. Uh, other than that, um, when would you say is your peak season, uh, and when would you say is your dead dead month? You know. Well, I mean, of course, our best seasons May through uh, through well, say May through October, and it starts low slowing down some in November, December, depending on the weather. But you get a big spurge with Thanksgiving. You usually, get a pretty good spurge with Christmas week. People traveling. And then January, February, it's, you know, we'd probably be better off closed doors some years. Um, 
because uh, you can't do that. But, I mean, January and February can be some tough months. Uh, March starts coming out. Depends on the weather, you know, if it if it comes around, or if it's cold, or if it warms up. Uh, as soon as you start seeing sunshine and warmth and birds chirping, you'll start seeing the business grow like mad. Obviously, you're heavily involved today. Is there a time to where you're just going to not come to work, or you know, what's the what's the end plan here? I guess I won't come to work when I'm in when I'm dead. I mean, I, I don't know of any other time that I won't. I like to come to work. I still enjoy it. Um, I have no desire to quit. I mean, I have pretty lot of flexibility. I, I like to hunt and fish and golf, so I'm pretty active doing all that. And, uh, so it's not like I'm here every day, but, you know, I always say because of cell phones and iPads and laptops, our office is really a three foot circle. Uh, you can work kind of from anywhere now. Uh, I can get all of my information on my sales, my everything I want to know about anything that's going on right off my, uh, well, off my cell phone even. So I don't really have to be here every day. I like to come to the office. If I'm in town, I'm here. I think it's important to see your people face-to-face, and I then and, and I just like to come in. I mean, I, I really do, still do, but uh, I, I don't have any intentions or plans to stop. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at now. You can find Little General stores located in towns all across Appalachia, and be sure to visit their website at lgstores.com as well as their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. I'm also proud to say that they are a dear client of ours, and it has been a pleasure to watch them operate these past few years. Thank you, Greg, for your time. Appalachian Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, so be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship. Like us on Facebook and Instagram, and support the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at AppalachianStartup.com. Don't forget to review our podcast, and you can also download each episode on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. We are on Patreon, so you can support the show there, and that will allow us to continue to find more businesses in Appalachia to showcase. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise.